Hi, I'm Mark Baldwin, and you're listening to the Genealogy Gems Podcast. Welcome to the Genealogy Gems Podcast, providing quick and innovative ways to make the absolute most out of your research time and creative ideas for sharing and displaying your family history. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Hello, and welcome to episode 61 of the Genealogy Gems podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thanks to podcast listener Mark Baldwin for that great introduction. I am just back from attending the Family History Expo in St. George, Utah. And let me tell you, it was one terrific conference. Listen, if you haven't been to a genealogy conference, you are not living. I've been to a lot of conferences, and every time I have a better time than the last time. There were endless classes to choose from, an exhibit hall full of the latest and greatest in genealogy products, and really the nicest people just having a heck of a good time. And I was really lucky to be once again conducting video interviews for Family History Expos TV for their YouTube channel uh, at the conference. So even if you weren't able to make it to the St. George Expo, you can benefit from hearing from many of the experts who presented there, including Mark Tucker of the Think Genealogy blog, uh, Bernie Gracie, who spoke on geographic genealogy, a fascinating topic, and Anna Fector from Ancestry.com, amongst many others. And you can look forward to hearing from many of them right here on this show, imparting their wisdom and expertise. I just love talking to smart people. I mean, there were some really smart people at the Family History Expo. (laughs) So keep an eye on upcoming issues of the Genealogy Gems email newsletter for announcements on when the videos and the podcast interviews are going to be published. And once again, my Google classes were packed. In fact, I got word that both my Google A Goldmine of Genealogy Gems Part 1 and 2 classes broke attendance records. Oh, my gosh. And Mark Baldwin, our opening announcer, was one of those attendees. And I know that lots of you who attended the classes are joining us now here on the show. So welcome aboard, and thank you so much for listening. I hope that you've set up your customized Genealogy iGoogle homepage, like we talked about in class. And we also covered Google Alerts, um, site search, and a wide range of some really cool brand new Google tools that can be used to move your research forward. I also taught classes on how to save your research from destruction and a podcasting one-on-one class. In fact, here are some more folks who attended that class. You're at a family history conference. What brought you here and what's your name? My name's Diane Manley and a friend brought me here because she highly recommended it from last year. And is it as good or better than just sitting in your jammies in front of your own computer? It's not as comfortable, but it's great. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good. Hi, I'm Carolyn Coates, and you're listening to Genealogy Gems Podcast. Have you listened to podcasts, and will you listen to them in the future? Yes, and I found this class to be uh, excellent. I already have iTunes. I have my own iPod. I I found it's really useful for a lot of things, but I can see where um, just learning some of these uh, different things about the podcast will be very informative. And your name? Glenda Edmonds. And I will just be safe to say, and you're not even a teenager, and you use iTunes, right? No, but I learned from my, my uh, young adult sons. <laughs> you know, that is a really cool way, if you've never been able to get your kids or your grandkids, to even look at a family tree chart. Sitting down and say, I heard that there's genealogy podcasts on iTunes. Will you show me? And all of a sudden, 
they're going to be fine. They're going to just feel like the, the brain child. And isn't it true? And it's, just, it's just one more way to let them know, you know, we're not that far apart. How about you? What's your name? I'm Wanda Southwick. Um, I'm really fascinated with this as a possibility of being able to communicate genealogical ideas to my grandchildren. Absolutely, as in oral histories, right? And if you've got a little recorder, just like I'm holding here, you could literally take it with you to any family event. Holidays are always a great time. And you could post it online for everybody to listen to. I think it's a brand new cool idea for me. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming. How about you? You had such a nice smile on your face. Tell us your name and tell us, do you think that you'll listen to podcasts now? Yes, Bill Bagwell, and I am very impressed with this, and I think I will try this. Now, we know you're going to listen to genealogy. What other topic popped into your head when I told you that other types of podcasts are out there? What are you going to search on when you get home? <laughs> Keep it clean. <laughs> well, I don't know whether they have one on rodeos or not, but <laughs> that'd be another choice. Five bucks says they do. You and my husband. You've got to come talk to my husband at the booth. Hi, tell us your name. I'm Hope Welch. Had you listened to a podcast before? I've listened to something from iTunes. Okay. I didn't realize that you could do this also. It's fantastic. I'm uh, technologically impaired, <laughs> so I'm hoping to learn. Aren't they great? Thank you so much to my students at the um, Family History Expo for jumping in and being part of the show. That's always fun. If you want to be a part of the show, you can call in 925-272-4021 and um, perhaps find yourself on an episode. Um, but we had a really great time at the at the conference. And I actually had a lot of fun on the way to the conference because I got myself, now I'm not sure what you call it, but it's one of those little flash drive looking things and you plug it into your laptop and it gives you wireless internet no matter where you are. And I guess it's it's Air Mobile, but it's not my mobile cell phone. There's a term for it. My husband knows. I don't know. But anyway, I got this wonderful little gadget, and I plugged it into my laptop. And it was a good thing because I had a little bit extra work to do before we got to the conference. And we had about a 12-hour drive ahead of us. So I had the laptop on my lap, and my husband was driving. Yes, I was not driving. Um, <laughs> and I was able to work online on the Internet all the way from the Bay Area, 12 hours, through the desert, to St. George, Utah. Got a ton of stuff done. Uh, the time just flew by, and it worked everywhere. I don't think there was one spot on the entire freeway where I did not have Internet service. It was really cool. Okay, now for the bad news. <laughs> you won't believe this. We were driving home, and of course it was a Sunday, and there were a lot of people, I'm sure, who were driving back from Las Vegas after a, a long and wild weekend. A little different wild weekend than we had. We had a, a very fun weekend. Anyway, so there were a lot of people on the road, and they're all jockeying for position on this two-lane highway. And we got through the bulk of the desert. We were outside a little town called Barstow, which is, if you know Barstow, you know that we were in pretty much the middle of nowhere. And I was working on my laptop, and... My husband was driving. We were approaching the agricultural inspection stop. They have those out here in California. And all of a sudden, somebody jumped from the right lane into our lane, um, about two cars ahead of us. And that car behind, you know, that it jumped in front of had to stop short. The one in front of us stopped. We tried to stop. We were in a sub my Suburban. And needless to say, it was not enough room for a Suburban to make the kind of stop that the little sports cars did. 
and we plowed into the back of the car in front of us. Uh, in fact, I think they may have hit the car in front of them before we hit them. But anyway, it was a three-car pileup. And there I was hanging on to my laptop, making sure it didn't go through the front window. But I'm fine, and he's fine. I should say that. I kind of had a headache for about two days. Otherwise, it was a miracle. Everybody was fine. But anyway, so we're out in the middle of Barstow, totally shaken, and it's 1 o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday, and I get on my cell phone while he's dealing with you know the police. And so I jump on the phone, and I start calling rental car companies in Barstow because we're still six hours away from home. And I didn't want to have to ask one of my daughters to come and drive all the way down to get us. So got a hold of a car company. It was the only one out of all the ones in Barstow that were even open, and they were closing in half an hour. Tell you, folks in small towns are so nice. She was willing to wait for us until the tow truck came and we could get there to rent the car. So the policeman offers, oh, well, you know, you can, he offers to me, well, you can come with me. I'll drive you up to the rental car place and then your husband can wait with the tow truck. And, and he was right behind us. Well, okay. The police officer drove 95 miles an hour. I mean, he was speeding up on the cars in front of us and I was just in this accident and By the time I got out, I thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown. (laughs) I was so frazzled. He just scared the living daylights out of me. And obviously, people move over when the police come racing up behind them. But he was talking about his rifle, and he was talking about the, the gadgets in his car. Anyway, it made for a long weekend. Our Suburban was totaled, and unfortunately, it's sitting in a tow lot down in Barstow. But we made it home. We made it home in one piece. That's all you can ask for. Anyway, it was just a wild end to a very fun weekend. And I'm beginning to think that I'm accident prone when it comes to conferences because, okay, I didn't tell you this last time, but when I went to the Mesa conference, at the end of the conference, I had a video camera because we were doing the video interviews and we were talking and saying, oh, wouldn't it be really cool to get a shot of the big crowd at the end of the conference who are waiting for the grand prize drawing? So I see this chair. It looks nice and sturdy. Oh, I know. You know what's happened already. You can tell, can't you? I climbed up on the chair. I got the footage and I took one step to get down. Oh, it turns out it was a folding chair. (laughs) So, you know, me, camera, everything went crashing down in the middle of the grand prize drawing and, um, Talk about trying to get attention. No, I wasn't trying to get attention. In fact, I was so embarrassed. And uh, Tom Underhill from Creative Continuum, my buddy Tom, who had a little bit of CPR training. (laughs) He didn't need CPR, but he came to my rescue and checked and looked at me. And he said, you know, you look a little bit dazed. So uh, I just, you know, sat there for a few minutes and collected myself and ended up with quite a few bumps and bruises. Actually, worse than the car accident. By far, it was. But I didn't tell you about it when I got home because I was so embarrassed. And I knew that many of you probably had been there. (laughs) So if you remember the tall blonde woman who went barreling down the backdrop of the grand prize drawing, that was me. Now you know. Anyway, see what you're missing if you don't go to a conference. You are just missing so much. If nothing else, you're going to have a sideshow watching me, you know, falling down. My husband, he's going to make me sign a contract that says I will not let my feet leave the ground if I go to a conference. Coming up later in the show, I'm going to have Steve Nickel here, the president of FamilyLink.com, which also owns WorldVitalRecords.com. He's going to be here to tell us about an exciting new website that they are going to be launching soon. And of course, we have 
part two of my interview with Darby Hinton. Uh, in this episode, I'm going to share some genealogical research that I did on the Hinton clan with Darby and his wife, Sean. But first, it's time for the mailbox. Well, here in the mailbox, um, I got an email from Tina Kelly, who lives in the United Kingdom, and she has a question about obtaining vital records here in the U.S. And since I have listeners in over 80 countries, isn't that great? Can you believe that? 80 countries. Well, since we have a lot of listeners listening outside of the U.S., I thought that this would be a worthwhile topic to share. So Tina writes... How can you access vital records info in the U.S. if you are not a direct descendant or in any way related except via a stepfather? I have some info from Ancestry, other stuff from the family, and have spent many, many hours and not a few dollars searching the sites. World Vital Records, who didn't have what I was looking for, was included. I have tried looking at the websites for state and county records. And I come up against the order form, which says you must be a direct descendant. And then you have to get that relationship notarized. As a visit to the notary public here costs in the region of about 70 pounds, that's a lot of money, uh, you will understand that I am not rushing to do that, particularly as I don't meet the relationship requirements. All I want is a copy, a photocopy of the information, which I know must be there. Maybe I'm missing some basic search tactic. I know exactly when and where they were born, but I can't find out when or whom they married or died. And in one case, I have the ancestry death thing with, (laughs) what's the ancestry death thing, Tina? She says, I have the ancestry death thing with social security number. And what I want to know is if there are descendants. Well, wouldn't you? I have finally listened to all your podcasts and can't find any guidance on what to do if we're not related or aren't a U.S. citizen. You must have other listeners in the same fix. Well, Tina, as I said, I imagine that I do have a few other listeners out there in that same fix. So let me share a few ideas based on what you've written here in your email. First of all, I can tell you that in the States, two types of certificates are typically offered, certified and an information only or non-certified. The requirements that you're mentioning sound a lot like requirements for certified copies, And typically, these are much more expensive to order than an information-only or a non-certified copy. Um, In fact, if you could send me an example of the one that you're trying to look for, um, including the county and the state that you're trying to get it from, I could probably give you a more specific answer. But requirements do vary by state. But in most cases, you can just mark your request as a non-certified information-only, and uh, typically, they'll fill it. I certainly haven't had any comeback that said that they wouldn't. Now, I have not personally seen a case where they asked if you were a U.S. citizen when ordering a certificate. I mean, that's new. But now maybe I didn't notice it because I am a U.S. citizen. Now, I just tested that out on Ancestry, and it didn't ask the question either when I used their automatic ordering. It asked for the reason that I wanted it, and I marked personal use. And they asked the relationship, which you can just pick one from the uh, drop-down menu. Now, as for Social Security numbers, you can order the Social Security application, which last time I checked costs about $26 U.S. But keep in mind that it was issued at the time that they entered the workforce. Even though you oftentimes find the button for 
um, ordering the application in the Social Security Death Index, you know, that application was much earlier, which means chances are their descendants are probably not listed in the application. Although if they were married, um, you might find a spouse name. So as far as being a U.S. citizen, I would just suggest that you send me a copy of the one that is telling you that you have to be a U.S. citizen. Maybe there has been a law passed in, in a particular state. And as I mentioned, they do go state by state. But I've never had a, an application for a non-certified personal use only certificate require a notary. That just I've never seen that. But maybe some of the rest of you have. So email me uh, if you have an, an example of that or how you worked around it at genealogygemspodcast at gmail.com. But finally, Tina, I think if you're looking for the descendants of an individual here in the U.S., it really sounds to me like you need to uh, do a search for that person's obituary in the newspaper. Because here in the U.S., when somebody dies and they write up an obituary, they almost always list all the living descendants and the towns and the and states where they live. So that might be a really good boon to your research. So thanks so much for writing. Hope that helped out. And um, if you follow up with me on that specific case, I'll take a look at it and see what we can find out. Okay, well, coming up next is my interview with Steve Nickel, president of FamilyLink.com. I recently had a chance to interview Steve Nickel, president of FamilyLink.com, for the Family Tree Magazine monthly podcast. And after the interview, we got chatting, and he told me about some exciting news about a new website that they are preparing to launch that he wanted you, my listening audience, to hear about firsthand. So we flipped the microphone back on, and here's Steve's sneak peek just for you at a brand new website called GenSeek. Well, I'm really pleased to have Steve Nickel, president of FamilyLink.com, here on the show. Um, he's got some some new and exciting things to tell us about. Hi, Steve. Hi, how are you doing? Doing great. You were telling me as we were talking uh, in another conversation about something new and innovative going on at FamilyLink.com. I'd love to have you tell us about it. Well, we have an application, or uh, actually a website that we're about ready to release called GenSeek.com. Uh, what we've done is we've entered into a relationship uh, with the uh, LDS Church. They have been obviously doing collections of genealogical records over the past 70 years. In fact, the, they started building what is called the Family History Library Catalog back in 1939. They've spent over 500 man years of time collecting uh, records and, and sources of records all over the world. Uh, they, they have records from, I think, 235 different countries. They have uh, over four and a half million sources of genealogical content. Some of them are online, some of them are offline, and let me put that into perspective. We hear about billions of records being available online, so what you know, what difference does four and a half million sources make? If, if I look at one of the biggest genealogy websites in the world, they have about 170,000 sources, 170,000 sources, and this Family History Library catalog has four and a half million sources. We are, we are going to be able to uh, allow customers who have found a source that does not exist or people don't know about it to post it on this worldwide catalog. What we want is for GenSeq to be the de facto place where people start their genealogy research. And then they'll be able to link out and we'll be able to tie that, uh, the, the GenSeq catalog, the foundation of which is the uh, LDS Family History Library catalog, 
we'll be able to tie that, start tying that to existing sources that exist online. So if, for instance, something exists on World Vital Records, we'll point from GenC to World Vital Records. If it exists on Ancestry.com, we'll point to Ancestry.com. If it exists elsewhere on the web, we're going to be tying links, and we're going to allow our customer base to start creating those links and adding to those sources. And if, if there's a source that exists and somebody has used that source before, they'll be able to comment on it and share it with the rest of the community. So it will be a very uh, strong community site that we have built. We're about ready to release it. It's, it we're, we're still probably two months away from releasing it. It's going to be sometime towards the middle to the end of May before we actually actually release it to the public. But it is in the works. There have been some tremendous things that we've done with it. And I think the community will be very surprised and excited about the utility that this will provide them. It's going to be a free source. A free source. So it really sounds like, Steve, that it's um, kind of a hub. It's like your starting place, then going out from there to locating various records on a variety of websites. Is that Have I got this right? That's correct. That's just a brief introduction to it. There will be a lot more said about uh, GenSeq, but I, I thought you and your listeners would you know, may be interested in some of these developments that are coming out. Absolutely. Now, that's GenSeq, as in S-E-E-K dot com? Yes, yes, uh, G-E-N-S-E-E-K dot com. The other thing that's uh, exciting about this is that we have found many of our partners that we've worked with on WorldWideRecords.com may have a list of hundreds of thousands of sources that still are not digitized, but they have them and they have a catalog of them. We'll be taking those catalogs and adding them to the GenSeq catalog. And so now the, now we have maybe four and a half million sources. Within a year or two or three, we, we expect to have six or seven or eight or ten or fifteen million sources of genealogical content that our users will be able to say, this is the one that's most important to me. And we'll essentially let the community vote on what should be coming out next. Wow, that's amazing. What a fantastic tool for a genealogist to be able to have input on what is coming online. Right, so we're very excited about that. Well, it sounds fascinating. So you'll keep us updated and and let us know. We'll keep an eye out for GenSeq.com. It sounds like a fantastic tool and a place, again, to start. Because isn't the challenge so often you just don't know what you don't know. You don't know what's out there. <laughs> and it sounds like this might be a way to um, do that initial search to get, a, to get a handle on what's out there and if it's not out there to have some input on it. It, it really is. You know, my, uh, I'll just give you one uh, small personal example. My uh, mother-in-law, uh, she's from South Carolina, and she loves genealogy, and, and uh, she's from Newberry County, and, and she wanted to know. She was looking for some wills that were about her ancestors, and she had no idea whether they existed or not. So she went out, I, I gave her the, the private login to the, the GenSeq data, and she searched for South Carolina, Newberry County. Uh, she put in a date range of, you know, wills between 1700 and 1820, and, uh, and then said, I want wills. That any, any sources about wills in that time frame in that particular county, and there were six records immediately in front of her that she had no idea existed. Wow. And so she, she was very excited. And that type of experience is happening over and over again. We have uh, records from or sources from essentially every country in the world. And so we're going to, it's, it's not only going to be a great new source, but a very worldwide and, and global uh, resource for everyone, everyone in the world. 
you know, we have records in there that are written in Japanese kanji that, you know, people over in Japan can start accessing and finding sources where they can find their ancestors. So it's a very exciting source. Pretty cool. Nice perk to be the mother-in-law of uh, the president of Family Link, huh? <laughs> oh, I think it's a, it's a perk for me. She's a great mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's exciting. Hey, Steve, thank you so much for coming on the show and giving us the sneak peek at what we can look forward to. It, it sounds fascinating, and we'll keep an eye on it. That sounds great. Thank you very much. Looking for a way to get even more genealogy gems that will power boost your research, inspire your creativity, and give you the motivation you need to tackle that brick wall? Become a Genealogy Gems Premium member and start reaping the benefits right away. And by entering the coupon code SAVE20, you can get 20% off the annual membership. You'll get two extra members-only episodes every month packed with great information you can use right away, an instructional video series walking you through the best Internet tools and family history projects step-by-step. And membership is not only educational, it's fun. You can synergize with other listeners in the message forum and even try your hand at the genealogy-themed crossword puzzles. If you enjoy the Genealogy Gems podcast, then you're going to love being a Genealogy Gems premium member. But don't just take my word for it. Here's what your fellow Genealogy Gems podcast listeners have to say. Thank you very much for your wonderful podcast. It's helped me out immensely. Keep up the good work. Thanks again for everything that you do and for bringing things into a new perspective. I'm calling because I wanted to tell you how much I enjoyed episode number four. Thanks. Thank you, Lisa. I learned so much from your podcast and look forward to each new episode. To become a premium member and start reaping the benefits right away, go to www.genealogygems.tv and click the Join Today button. Be sure and type in the special coupon code SAVE20, that's S-A-V-E-2-0, and you'll get 20% off the annual membership. Don't drive through your research with the handbrake on. Go full throttle by being a Genealogy Gems Premium Member. In our last episode, number 60, we got a chance to spend some time with Darby Hinton, who was a child star back in the 1960s. And for six of those years, he played Israel, the son of Daniel Boone, played by Fess Parker in the hit TV series, Daniel Boone. Well, in this episode, I am really pleased to bring you part two of my interview with Darby and his lovely wife, Sean. Darby had some bits and pieces of his family history, but he wasn't sure how to fit them all together so he could go back further in his family tree. So he faxed what he had to me. And in this episode, I get to share what I found of the Hinton family history. Well, speaking of history, you sent me some information that you knew about your family and some pieces of information that you've kind of collected in your travels from other people who have done research on the Hinton family, but, you know, not so sure yet that it's your family. And, you know, I was just thinking, this happens to us so often that we have a couple generations that we know about. We can write those down in a tree 
And then you'll pick up a, a compiled family history from one location and you meet somebody and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that surname. Here's here's the lines going back to England. And um, and I know that one of the documents that you sent me was of a Colonel John Hinton, who was supposedly traced back all the way to Alfred the Great. And I wanted to talk with you a little bit about what I found after getting your information and what is and what somebody does when they have the first couple generations they know and the pieces that look like they fit, but then there's a big gap in the middle. So you sent me kind of a tree that you had put together in a, in a reunion database, and I'm assuming it went back to about your grandfather. That was just from your memories and what you had from your family? Yes, I am sad to say that having owned that program for a couple of years, um, as far back as I got was my grandfather. I, you know, all the modern things I did and my sister's kids and all that. And I kept wanting to go back. But since my father was an only child, uh, there was an adopted sister, but we don't really even know that much about her. And my mom was an only child. There was no real family to go back and say, you know, well, what was going on? I mean, I just knew that, yeah, my grandfather um, was kind of in the hotel business. Well, it wasn't until I went back to North Carolina to film this segment of Hinton's Living History that I found that, yeah, it was the biggest or one of the most popular hotels on the Atlantic coast, and he was the first one to put a steel pier out in front of the hotel, and he always had the bands, and, you know, and then he owned other hotels, and, and then that's when people started coming and and telling me things and filling me on the history that I had no clue about. And one of the fascinating things I got to do with my family is we went, um, part of the first show of Hinton's Living History, my daughter's researching uh, the Confederate spy, uh, Rose, Rose Green Howe. And we went to visit her grave in the cemetery there. Well, walking out of the cemetery, they're like, well, come over here. And then all of a sudden, there all the Hintons are. And they had the Hintons that went back to the Confederate uh, war and and... You know, just to stand there, because like I say, I, I don't have any of that. I don't have cousins or anything to ask, you know, what do you know? So I, I'm just fascinated how this history is coming alive, and that's why I value so much what you do, because I look at it, and it's just like, you know, it, it's like a puzzle that I don't know how to put together. <laughs> it, it's very frustrating at times. Well, you bet. It must have been very... I don't know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but did you feel a little bit of a chill or a little bit of a inkling of, hmm, I'd like to know more? You know, when you st- see your own surname on those tombstones, even if you don't know yet how you're connected, don't you find that to be a very unique experience? Oh, absolutely. I wanted to know more. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Sean, that's so true, because even when somebody sends me their genealogy and I take a look at it, Preston, I am so immersed. Who cares about mine? I'm working on theirs. And, and you start to feel like you get to know them. Yeah. And I think what you've been describing, Darby, is a really fairly recent phenomenon, which is very much like myself. You might have one sibling. You might be an only child. You may have one cousin or an aunt. But I only had to go back maybe two generations to find loads of people in your family history. And and mine tree looks very much the same. It's very thinned out in these last couple generations. And yet there's all these people tucked, you know, a little further downstream. 
that are fascinating. So I'd love to share some of that with you if you're interested. Absolutely. I definitely want to know. And, and yes, just along those lines, one of the pictures I sent you of one of the female Hintons, um, there was an old picture. You know, it, it just fascinated me. And I stared at it because I'm like, I see my daughter in that face. Yes. Isn't yeah, that something? I would love to hear what you came up with. You bet. Well, your father is Edgar Latimer, correct? Correct. And his father was Edgar Latimer Hinton II, is the way you had given it to me. But I, wasn't he the first? The grandfather? I think the grandfather was the first. I think your father is the second. The first Latimer? Yes, he was. Edgar was indeed a hotel owner. But what was what, what stood out to me in finding him first was he was born back in June 17th of 1868 in Wrightsville, North Carolina. The steps were, just to, to fill you in, when I've got pieces like this, I'm going to start with the most current census record, and that's the 1930 census. Because of privacy issues, that's the most recent we can get. And so I found him in 1930, which was just four years before he died. And he was retired, and he was with uh, his wife, Mamie, and they were living in North Carolina in Wilmington. And uh, and actually, he spent his entire life, basically, in Wilmington. He's there also in 1921. He's running the hotel. I had to throw this in because I was going to run down the census with you, but I found a passenger list of Edgar coming back from Cuba in 1926. Really? Yes, and I have a feeling my guess is he may have been making a trip on business, you know, something to do with his hotel, but he didn't appear, he wasn't traveling with any family. I've got the other names on the passenger list, but they may very well have been business associates. So I thought that was real, and that's a very new kind of database that's coming out these days that we just didn't have access to a couple of years ago. I, I didn't even know you could access passenger lists. Yeah, and in fact, they're getting to the point where they're so caught up with the, the ship's passenger list that we're actually moving into digitizing airline passenger lists because, of course, that becomes the new portal, if you will, for people, for immigrants coming into the country. Yeah. But then many people were traveling on business and, you know, Cuba wasn't that far away. And it was, of course, something that, a place they could actually go <laughs> at the time. But taking you further back, yes, he was running the hotel. What's interesting to me is, that he passed away when your father was quite young. Your father, I believe, was in his teens. So it's it's interesting to me that that, again, in turn, happened with you, that you right. lost your father very young. <laughs> we don't want to lose you, Darby. <laughs> but I think that Edgar actually, your grandfather, um, started, he got a late start. He was born in 1868. He did not marry until around 1917. Both he and his wife, well, his wife was quite a bit younger than him. Um, yeah, he got a late start, which I think is why your father was the only child. And then he had, I think they adopted Betty. Is that right? Yes. Okay. But back in 1900, Edgar is the conductor on the, I think it's the South Carolina Railroad Company. It's SC Railroad Company. I haven't had a chance to look that up, but he worked on the railroad. Really? Yeah. yeah so there'll be some, some, probably additional records we could scrounge up on that. And, of course, I've just had a couple of hours to take a look, but I have... Yes, I will say I threw all this at you <laughs> in tons of information in a very short time. I'm very impressed. Well, I always love being able to implement the strategies that I'm, you know, lecturing people about on the show because they really do work. And by following that census every 10 years back, I've got him in 1920, 1910, 1900, and I'm going to send you all of the original copies so that you can see them yourselves. 
but then of course we we don't have an 1890 census because there was a fire and that was lost but i did find him age 12 living in 1880 with who i think was his widowed mother lizzie in wilmington and then took it even further back and found him in 1870 with both parents and he's just 3 years old like a lot of the men in my line had widowed uh, wives. <laughs> I think so, whether it be that they were lost young or whether they just got a late start and and he died at a at a what age 66, I guess that was considered about normal at that time. But I did find his parents and I want to tell you that uh your great-grandfather was Joseph Hinton and he was born in North Carolina in 1845. And I know this because by finding the 1870 census with your grandfather as a three-year-old within his family, then we now have a confirmation that this is indeed his mother, his father, and that was Fanny Elizabeth and Joseph Hinton. And Edgar had, I know of at least three siblings. There may have been more because oftentimes, if you were on the younger side, the older ones were already often married. But there was Melvina and Joseph Hatch. And Oscar were some of his siblings. Wow! And this is his great grandfather. This is、um, Darby's great grandfather, Joseph Hinton, and、uh, Joseph was a schoolteacher. Oh, that's interesting because his mum was a schoolteacher. I mean, Darby's mum. Right, right. Fanny. There's a little bit of confusion, but she's known as Lizzie, and I think that's because Elizabeth is her middle name, and I believe she was born in 1846. So they were right about the same age. I've continued following the the Hinton line, and the earliest I have Joseph is in 1850, and actually it was between 1860 and 1870 that the family migrated from. And、I'll, I don't. I'm just going to hack up this name. I'm sure it's Pasquotank County, and I'm sure somebody from North Carolina will write me and correct、okay. me on that. <laughs> But I think it's Pasquotank, North Carolina. And by 1870, they're then in Wilmington, North Carolina, where of course they stayed for a hundred years. But the family originates earlier, prior to 1870, in this Pasquotank County, North Carolina. And I've got Joseph back to age 11 with his parents in 1850. So your great great grandfather, surprise surprise, Edgar L. Hinton. <laughs> That Edgar name has really lasted. Really, they didn't get very imaginative. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank goodness, because it certainly makes genealogy quite a bit easier when you、well, go、that. back. <laughs> Although sometimes it gets con- Edgar's nice because while the family was repetitively using it, there wasn't a lot of other Edgars in the area, so I I knew I was honing in on the right people. Oh. <laughs> so Edgar Hinton was born October twenty fifth of eighteen o four in North Carolina. And he was actually a farmer. He was a very well-to-do farmer.、Um, his real estate back as early as 1850 was valued at three thousand dollars, and his personal estate was over sixteen thousand dollars in value. Wow! And that was wow! That was good back then. I imagine if you were to look up some land records, you would find a good parcel of land, and and he probably died with the will. That would be another type of record that you'd go after because the will is going to detail every single thing he、yeah. owned and who he gave it to and who the children were at the time. That's he. I mean, that, they were seriously wealthy. I think so. I think so. And I believe 
that Edgar L. Hinton was married a couple times. It's really interesting. I don't know what the story is, but I actually found his original death certificate online, which is just fascinating to me that, you know, it's one thing to find a census, but when you actually get a hold of somebody's death, you know, certificate online, it's really cool. And um, it doesn't, it just says he's married, doesn't even bother to put a name in for the wife. Oh, great. <laughs> and in his obituary, it just says surviving him were his, in quotations, last wife <laughs> and daughter Maggie. <laughs> Maybe he had more than two. <laughs> <laughs> he may have, you know, out, outlived quite a few. He lived to 87, so... You know, oh, that was kind of old for them. Exactly. He, he was obviously Joseph's father. Joseph's mother was Margaret Stokely. So that's where that name, you sent me a kind of a, I think Stokely came up in one of the trees or the pieces of trees, things that you'd shown me. So there's another surname that you could look into. But I had to keep going on the Hintons. I went to find Edgar living with his family. Couldn't find him because once we get to 1840, we're looking at census records that only include the name of the head of the household. It doesn't include children. So it's not as obvious to make those connections. But I did find some work that was done by another genealogist many years ago that says that Edgar's father is William Smith Hinton and that he was born in 1783 in that Pasquotank, North Carolina. And that Edgar's mother was Mary Polly Richardson. And I can't verify that yet because I haven't yet gone and been able to find the, the primary sources that prove it. But what was interesting was when I was looking at where Edgar was living in 1850, the Richardsons were right next door. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there's a good chance that uh, we're yeah. on the right track with that. That helps, yeah. And interestingly, that... Edgar Hinton's obituary showed up in a Tennessee newspaper. That's where I got it from. And it looks to me, and I kept wondering, what in the world are they doing printing it in a Tennessee newspaper when, you know, this family is long in North Carolina? But I believe the Richardsons actually are out of Tennessee, and there were probably familial connections there that they reported it there as well. So we got you back to 1783. We did it with the census. That's amazing. And um, you've got a long family line. Whether you're related to the Colonel John Hinton that's in this um, paper from the Daughters of the American Revolution, we don't know. But certainly in just a couple of hours, we've got you back into the 1700s. I'll bet you with some effort, you could certainly make that connection and, and at least prove it or disprove it, whichever way it goes. Yeah, what I can't guarantee your royalty. <laughs> I personally think it's a nose or cock. <laughs> <laughs> That's the English speaking over there. I mean, she's very disappointed that the Hintons might be into the English royalty. And I the... can't believe it myself. <laughs> <laughs> she she wants the uh, the corner on that market, right? Yeah. Well, we I don't think we have the corner on it. That's the problem. <laughs> well, I don't know if you saw where um, my wife's uncle uh, went and gave us some genealogy that he did. Yeah, my it's my great uncle. He did a lot of work. Well, he's, you know, he's older and he has time. And He apologized because I think he said he went back to like the 16th century. Because after that, they were really just kind of in kilts and didn't keep good records. <laughs> <laughs> You've got him. Well, he's like, well, I can only go back to my grandfather. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, these are wonderful. It looks like you've got some solid dates and things back to right around 1800. But yeah. my guess is there, there's probably, he's connected it up with another genealogy that was probably existing. So, um, because obviously the higher up you were in class, um, the, the more likely your genealogy had been published or researched way back when. Oh, okay. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. 
it was fun to share. What I'm going to do is I'm going to email you all of the original documents and things so you can take a look at them, and um, you'll just have to listen to the show so that you can keep working on it yeah. yourself. Oh, absolutely. I, I definitely, um, you know, I got to see it very quickly, um, but uh, absolutely, and, and I love the fact that you have them all right there online so you can go back and, and see the old ones where, you know, if you missed anything, you can go back and pick it up. Exactly. And what's so fascinating today is that chances are there are other people who have also done research. And so you'll find yourself being able to connect online through posting your family tree or whatever. And I've been able to have people send me photographs of ancestors that I don't have any copies of, but they do. And you can start to get that visual picture, too, which I think is really exciting. I have I've had a, a couple of wonderful women that have sent me things saying that, you know, we knew your mom, and, and they've sent pictures that have just been amazing that, of course, I didn't have. And, you know, it's always fun to see your parents as kids running around. So, yeah, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. That's great. Absolutely. Well, and now if you get to make the trip back east again, you've got maybe some more locations. Because for me, there's nothing like walking that ground yourself, and now you know which names you're looking for on the tombstones. Yes, no, really, and that's a great thing. (laughs) Ah, where has the time gone? We have already come to the end of another episode. Thank you so much for joining me today. And don't fret because I've got more genealogy podcasting for you over at the Family History Genealogy Made Easy podcast. And in the newest episode, episode 21, I'm going to share a tool with you that will help you navigate your genealogy research. It's called the Genealogical Proof Standard or the GPS. That's a pretty good fit for navigating, don't you think? And my special guest on the show is Mark Tucker of the Think Genealogy blog, who has created a terrific visual map of the GPS. You are not going to want to miss this episode. Mark's classes are extremely popular at the Family History Expos, and we're going to have him all to ourselves in episode 21 of Family History Genealogy Made Easy. So I will see you over there. It's very easy to find. Just search on Family History in iTunes, or go to my website at genealogygems.tv and click the family history box on the homepage. And finally, make sure you're signed up for the free Genealogy Gems e-newsletter, because that's how you're going to find out about what's coming up in the show, where I'll be speaking, and some of the cool websites and tips that are only mentioned in the newsletter. Again, just head to the website, genealogygems.tv, and click the sign-up button at the top of the left-hand column. Well, that's it for now. So, until next time, thanks so much for listening, friend, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.